This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. You're listening to 3RRR. The show is Backstory and I'm your host, Mel Cranenberg. Now, a year after her best friend Alice dies after being badly burned in a house fire, Lara, heavily pregnant, visits her friend's husband and his kids in their recently rebuilt home. The story that unfolds dives into an intense friendship forged in the early 90s amid bands, bars and dawning self-awareness, dueling notions of feminism and the truly dark things we refuse to see even then when they are right in front of us. All this and more in Sonia Orchard's recently released book, Into the Fire. And I'm joined by author Sonia Orchard uh, in the studio today. Sonia, congratulations on your book. Thank you very much, Mel. And uh, welcome to Backstory. Thank you. It's great to be here. So this is your third book, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it's really kind of, I feel as though, uh, you know, bringing together a lot of themes that have obviously occupied you before. Would you like to introduce, uh, I've given a little bit of a sense of what I think the book's about, but did you want to really sort of set this up for listeners? Um, okay, well, it's, uh, the story, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, it starts with uh, the year after the death of Lara's best friend, Alice, in a house fire. Uh, but the story really goes back and looks at their friendship over the last sort of 17 years since university um, and follows their friendship. And um, I suppose the, the ups and downs of their friendships, but... Uh, the ups and downs are very much driven by the decisions that they make in life. They start off very much as these besties who are these very bolshy feminists at university and then they make very different choices in life and uh, that kind of drives a bit of a wedge between the two women. Um, I think what that comes down to is sort of you know, they both get to an age where they sort of realise life hasn't really turned out how they wanted it to turn out um, and they're both a bit sort of ashamed of some of their choices and how life has turned out for them and this drives a bit of a wedge between the two women but there's still there's still this love between them um, and, you know, I can't really say much more about what happens <laughs> towards the end because that's a, there's a big reveal at the end when you sort of realise uh, this betrayal which has been committed by Lara towards her friend and, and Lara sort of you know embarks on this kind of journey of nostalgia and reminiscing trying to kind of work out whether she is actually partly to blame for her friend's death in the house fire um, and that's kind of you know so she's kind of uncovering all those bits of their friendship and how they've behaved around each other. It's a really interesting one isn't it because it's it's one of those things where you know, you're getting that sense of the narrative we tell ourselves about our lives, the narrative that we tell ourselves about our friends uh, and what's really going on beneath it all. Yes. Um, that yep. kind of sense of projection onto other people is very strong in this book. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's very much about, you know, the stories we tell ourselves and what we believe was going on in our lives early on and the way that we have chosen to remember it and the way that we've chosen to see our relationships. And I think that we all do that to a degree. It's it's a survival instinct. We, we tell ourselves a narrative that will work well for who we are today. Um, but then, you know, sometimes when you're sort of forced to kind of reflect upon what was really going on in a situation or you come up against someone else's narrative and you realise actually that 
that wasn't going on, um, something quite different was going on and I think it's also what I've tried to bring into the novel also is just I suppose I've tried to play around with people's loyalties with which story they are inclined to believe because there's kind of a few versions of what was going on in this friendship circle Um, and I think it's you know I really want people to um, question at the end of the novel whose version of events did I believe and why did I believe those versions of events and why as a society, do we choose to believe a certain narrative over another narrative? Why do we, why do we so easily kind of go, oh, that narrative's not true, but that one's true? So yeah, I actually really, I have to say, um, I enjoyed your your kind of section set in the nineties, if only because looking back at those um, those kind of era those eras I guess that I was at university um you're sort of seeing things that I guess we didn't see quite so clearly just um you know even just how far we've come in terms of the discourse around things like feminism and um gender relations and and whatnot like really it was it was quite kind of retrograde wasn't it and and you definitely really capture that in a way that kind of makes me look back at it and think we've we really have come a very long way we've come a very long way yeah I mean I find that when I'm you know finding movies to put on for the kids or something like that I think god anything you know more than about five or ten years old is just so you know un-PC it's so inappropriate you know the the things that we thought were funny 10 15 20 years ago just you know weren't um but and yeah so i i have tried to be quite authentic looking at the humor and the way that people did refer to each other and you know some of the some of the terminology some of the dialogue is quite inappropriate by today's standards but i've tried to be authentic to what people thought was okay back then yeah, there was some interesting commentary as well about that, about how, you know, that generation, I guess the Gen X uh, women of a particular kind of, you know, white women of a particular class were the inheritors of, you know, second wave feminism um, and that this sense of privilege, um, you know, was what was going to see them through. But you can already see that they were undercutting themselves um, at the same time as not necessarily accepting um, their role as the new dominant kind of group in some ways. Um, yeah. Did you did you think a lot about those sort of themes as you were writing the book oh absolutely I've thought a lot about those themes as I've lived my life you know because that uh, this is my era as well um and I remember you know the story is a story of fiction but that feeling is quite a, a was quite a real feeling for me when I was you know in the early 90s at university I remember you know at school as well teachers saying to me you can do anything you want with your life you know you've done really well at school you can be whatever you want do whatever you want and I didn't really know what that meant other than I looked at successful men around me and thought okay well that's what success is and and that's kind of what feminism was sort of telling me you know you could go and do Um, and I think there was there was a lot of confusion for women back in the early 90s with what you know, we were told, okay, second wave feminism has kind of won all these battles. Go out there now, you know, claim your space. But I don't think anyone really knew what that meant and how to go about doing it. And, you know, I think, you know, when they actually got out into the world, it was quite problematic, you know, what they idealised their life might be and what it actually turned out to be. 
If you've just joined us, uh, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm speaking with author Sonia Orchard about her book, Into the Fire. Now, this is also very much a book about um, a friendship dynamic forged in, you know, in the early 90s uh, when the protagonists were kind of in their late teens, early 20s. Just the real intensity of that time in life and the friendships that are forged then, you know, it kind of creates this um, setup, I guess, an emotional setup. It's almost like it's not quite a menage a trois, but it has that element where there are three people sort of locked in these this very kind of intense relationship together. Um, it's sort of a really interesting one because what it shows you is those that you're holding the most close uh, can be the ones that hide the most from you. Um, I'm really fascinated by this, that, you know, the sense of lack of boundaries, the that secrets become the only way of keeping yourself separate or perhaps of separating yourself from people. I'd love to talk more about that in the context of this book, Sonia. Yeah, well, look, the, definitely the, the triangle between Lara and her best friend and then her best friend's boyfriend, who becomes her husband later on, Crow, is, you know, that's the central drama, that dynamic of the three of them uh, that kind of propels the story along. And you see uh, the way that they are kind of all vying for a position. You know, they're all trying to vying for kind of each other's loyalties. And, um, and I think, you know, I can definitely remember when I was young, you know, those intense female friendships that I had. And then, you know, how devastating it was when a friend went and got a boyfriend and, you know, you were suddenly alone on a Saturday night like, without anyone to party with. And I think, you know, so I really wanted to kind of capture that dynamic, but then just turn it up um, where, you know, it... it almost becomes like a, a survival thing like you said people are keeping secrets and there is that that kind of shame of you know my relationship's not quite what I'm pretending it to be it's something quite you know quite different um and I think a lot of women do that they kind of you know it's a, a self-preservation they want to hold face they want to stand by their choices and the decisions they've made um and yeah what I was saying before that sort of sense of shame that a lot of women make uh sort of have about their lives uh which keeps keeps um keeps them kind of not honest with their friends you know the, the root word uh the root of the word shame is actually to hide and to cover mm. um and I think that's you know what people often do when they're feeling shame about about their lives and what they've done and the decisions they've made they, they hide from others and they don't tell the truth about what's really going on now uh, I would love you to talk a little bit about each of the characters um who are quite well evolved in this book the three central characters are of course Lara who were introduced um, two right at the beginning of the book who um, kind of leads us into this entire story. Um, her best friend, Alice, who has died, um, but who becomes very vivid through Lara's memories uh, of her. And she's very definitely the kind of real protagonist at the heart of this book, even though she's absent and, and misunderstood, I perhaps think by the end of the book, you're starting to realise yep. that. Um, and Crow, her uh, Alice's um, husband and uh, Lara's friend, um, who we're kind of introduced, I think, um, rather presciently when he sort of um, crashes a sort of women's gender studies class back in the 90s um, in a way that I think um, pretty much anyone these days would like absolutely <laughs> cringe over, um, that he's, you know, he's rocked up into this this class trying to, you know, be the the feminist guy who he clearly really isn't <laughs> um 
Can you talk a little bit about each of these characters? Um, okay, I'm I'm loath to say too much about the characters for the reason that I really do want people to uh, make up their own minds about these characters, and I think kind of switching loyalties is something that I'm I was quite queen, keen to sort of you know establish that um, you know good people do bad things bad people do good things people can really throw you and be good and bad at the same time so I don't want to say anything too judgmental about them Um, Crow is a bit of a rock star he's incredibly charismatic Um, he has a big following um, but he's a very complex dark character as well Um, and I think you know, I want people to love him and hate him at the same time and be annoyed by him but just adore him because I think there are a lot of characters out there like that. Um, one thing I do want to say, though, about the male characters is I've had um, a few male readers say that they, you know, didn't like the male characters in the book <laughs> and I found that incredibly interesting because I've, I haven't had a single female reader say that. All the female readers just go, oh, they're, all the characters are so realistic and so believable and the, the male readers go, nah, nah, they're, you know, they're bastards kind of I thing. I have to say, I wasn't in love with the male characters in this book oh, uh, good either. on you. <laughs> I just, I kind of, you know, I have to say, got... Uh, they got my heckles up. But I think also that's, you know, looking back on people that yeah. you genuinely would have met in the yes. 90s and perhaps now um, you can kind of, I think the way you've drawn them, you give people the opportunity to see through them if they choose to. That's, yeah. I suppose, you know, when you're drawing a character well, you're giving people an opportunity to see the parts of them they choose to, which I guess in a sense is sort of what you're trying to achieve with this book. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, I think... You know, I think all of the characters are very flawed. Um, so I don't think, you know, I, I just have found it interesting, though, that, you know, male readers have had a problem with the flawed male characters, mm. whereas I think women are, are, are much more uh, amenable to the idea that we might be flawed and we're all flawed. And I think women, you know, we're used to, we've grown up being in the male gaze in stories and so we're used to sort of judging ourselves and we're used to sort of thinking about how we come across but I think for male readers you know looking at how certain men come across and kind of thinking oh what are you saying here that all men are bastards it's like no they're just flawed and um but uh yeah yeah I think uh, I think you definitely do illustrate that very well in in the way that actually I see what you're saying about not liking. I think you've you've accurately characterized the male characters in this book in a way that makes them to me, you know, quite uh, unlikable as characters but well drawn. Um Sonia, I would love people to um obviously pick up your book and judge for themselves what they think about uh the characters within it. Um it is a very interesting uh, meditation. There's a lot in here. Um I wish I could talk more about some of the themes that you've drawn out because I actually think they're particularly um pertinent themes and things that we should be talking about. Um but because a lot of the plot hangs off it. Yeah. Um you know certainly I, I encourage readers to to go through and and read the book themselves. Uh, Sonia Orchard, thank you so much for joining us on Backstory today. Thank you very much, Mel. That was uh, Sonia Orchard talking about her book, Into the Fire, which is out now through Affirm Press. You're listening to 3RRR. And coming up, I will be talking to uh, Megan Anderson, the editor of Matters Journal, a journal that is one year young and three editions in a beautiful, slow-cooked 
beast. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 RRR in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to 3 RRR. The show is Backstory. Now, Matters Journal introduces its website with a simple line, stories, people, ideas and doing good. Now one year old and in its third edition, the journal, which is meticulously printed on post-consumer waste recycled stock, um, is a melange of technology, science, environment and the arts, all slow cooked to a thoughtful collection. I caught up with editor Megan Anderson last week to discuss the recent edition, her first as editor. Megan Anderson, welcome to Backstory. Thanks for having me. So this is your first issue of Matters Journal, which is a very young journal. It's only been out for a year. Uh, I really have to say that I came along to the launch of the first edition of this journal and was absolutely blown away uh, by the quality of the of the publication. Um, it's really so beautifully put together on gorgeous paper stock and uh, with, you know, such incredible content. I'd love to talk a bit about uh, about the journal um, and then we'll get to the most recent edition, which you were the editor of. Um, so can you talk a little bit about where Matters Journal came from in the first place? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, it's our first birthday this year after launching last year at Pause Festival. And it's basically the brainchild of Giuseppe De Maio, who founded Local Peoples, which is a strategic design studio um, based in Abbotsford Convent now. And kind of um, it came out of, um, so Local Peoples is a B corporation, which kind of means taking responsibility around social environmental factors, as well as there's a lot of um, transparency and accountability things as well. So it's um, that whole team is really passionate about getting out there in the community and Giuseppe's especially passionate about small publishing. He founded Assemble Papers. So um, yeah, Matters Journal was a real um, labour of love for him. It's a really wonderful journal because the content is something that I don't think we have nearly enough of in a very well-written literary kind of non-fiction style. Um, you know, these very depthful essays on topics around technology and the environment um, and science. Um, these are incredibly important topics, particularly, you know, obviously the science and environment angle, which is really where you've gone um, with this journal. Talk a bit about how that, that works. Um, you've come, at, we, I think I, we can safely mention, um, from Going Down Swing, um, yes. you finished up as an editor there, or as the editor there um, before moving across to Matters Journal. So you've obviously come from a, a very sort of um, poetry and literary background. How has that kind of translated across for you in this journal? Um, well, yeah, I think like you said, um, there's a big focus, especially in the third issue on storytelling and kind of using it as a way to approach issues that I think a lot of people are really struggling with now and can be really intimidating. There's so much turmoil in the world, like environmentally, socially, politically, but there's also these people and um, organisations doing such amazing work. So it's kind of communicating this positive side as well as addressing and tackling the larger issues in a really accessible way that's really important yeah absolutely 
So I'm sort of interested, obviously, because the focus is on things that are very current. Um, why this? Why a, a paper-based journal? I mean, there is a very good website associated with this journal as well, and there's content housed there that I would heavily recommend people checking out. Um, but the journal itself is such a, a kind of beautiful creature. Um, one of the things that I immediately felt when I came along to the launch um, and uh, was just that I really hope this will last because uh, all too often I see these these wonderful kind of things getting launched and, and then I think how how many issues will that, that last for? Can you talk a bit about that, about the sort of hopefulness that's involved in starting a paper journal, uh, why this was started as a paper journal and, you know, and what's sustaining it? Well, I think... Um I think print, I don't think print will ever die. I think everyone like just the tactile nature of it, and it's so it's like an element of permanence. And I think all the online content it can be so overwhelming just to have a space where you can read something and sit down and look at a beautifully printed page is really still quite special. And I think also um, Matters has approached it in a really unique way. So we're we're a slow journal, essentially. We only publish like one to two issues a year and one um, article digitally, weekly. So um, it's just about creating meaningful content that's beautiful as well. We have a lot of um, amazing design talent that goes into it. And we work with a lot of incredible photographers, artists, illustrators. So um, there's that collaboration as well. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3 Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I am talking to the editor of Matters Journal, Megan Anderson, um, about the journal and I would love to talk about the most recent edition. I've literally just gotten a hold of a copy so I <laughs> have not managed to delve into it and see what's in there. What can we expect of this edition? Well, it's quite different. It's a bit more bold, um, this one. It's bright blue and there's um, an incredible... Um, picture by Scotty Cameron of cans of food or housing hamburger contents on the front cover. It looks very kind of <laughs> 1970s kind of uh, domestic cookbook um, but in the best possible sense. Yeah. I love it. And there's like an element of the grotesque to it which I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in this issue we cover a um, whole range of subjects um, ranging from bots. We pit, we asked a machine learning expert to put five bots in a chat room and see what happens. <laughs> Um, to a um, beautiful essay on regenerative agriculture. Um, there's profiles with some of Australia's um, most exciting food personalities coming out, as well as um, chats with a NASA contractor about what it's like to live in a simulated Mars environment. Fascinating. I, I want to like talk a bit more about um, how you select stories for Matters Journal because it is, you know, we'll talk a bit about what you feel the focus of the journal is. Um, so we aim to tell interconnected stories from the worlds of the arts, health, food, environment, tech and design. So um, kind of acknowledging that you can never just stick to one topic. Everything is so multifaceted and trying to explore as many of these different angles as possible. And um, this issue in particular has quite a big focus on food and technology. So um, that's been really fun. There's so much coming out of those two worlds. And um, also there's... Um, 
is a piece on design and um, the emergence of biocolors, which are also really interesting. This is going to be such a nerdy edited question, but I think it's one that people must often think about as well. When it comes to a journal like this, which is obviously a, a popular reading journal, but one that, that focuses on um, you know literary nonfiction um, with such a broad base, how do you select writers? Uh, are they writers who are sort of delving into these worlds? Are they kind of experts in these particular areas? Who writes for Matters Journal? <laughs> um, we've got an amazing contributor base, actually. We had some drinks a few months ago, which is really quite special and rare, I think, um, getting everyone together in one room, and it was really nice. Um, so we do a mixture. Um, so local people's the agency we work in. Everyone there is incredibly talented and passionate about the most interesting and and strange topics imaginable so we get a lot of their ideas as well informing the pitching the sorry what we commission as well as um we take pictures as well from writers and um or we approach writers we really like and ask them to do something for us yeah. so there's a mix there's experts as well that we get to write for us it's really fascinating, isn't it? Because I think, um, you know, these kind of well-crafted stories really show you what writers can do. Um, and I think that it is one of the real pleasures of the job to be able to kind of, you know, have these kind like real sort of, you know, fly on the wall uh, opportunities to see what it's like to be in other people's very strange worlds um, and then, you know, explain them to people who are much like you and have never seen anything quite like that. Um, it's a real, this is a real showcase of those things. Are there any stories? And I know that you've just come on as editor of this particular edition, so so of course uh, this may be the one closest to your heart. Um, but are there any stories that have uh, particularly affected you from the Matters journals? Um, oh, there's so many. I love all of them and the writers. <laughs> Pick <laughs> from amazing. among your children. <laughs> I know, it's so hard. Um, well, I did really um, enjoy um, Matt Harnett's piece in this edition about um, this time he broke into a battery hen farm to steal some chickens. I thought that was a that was a great story and also touches on some very topical issues. Um, I think he was a budding student journalist at the time in New Zealand and he was expected this big outcry and no one really cared. <laughs> <Soulful>. <laughs> but he kind of looks back on that and kind of has some really positive exciting things to say so yeah what can we expect coming up from matters journal and also i should really ask because there are a lot of uh writers who listen to this show and and to triple r generally um are you looking for pictures and and i think you know uh, like just generally how does you know one kind of approach pitching for this kind of a journal yeah absolutely we're always looking for pictures um especially for our online um content division I guess <laughs> um, so the best way is to um, yeah, just send us an email, send a really succinct pitch, try keep it to three to four sentences and we can take it from there Make sure you read the journals Read the journal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, absolutely, always looking for new writers That's great, and are there any particular stories uh, that you would favour over others? Um, I guess um, coming to a topic from a unique angle, um, looking at it through a slightly different lens maybe um just having a story that can grab people and and not just a niche audience as well I think it's really important that the stories are accessible and um yeah 
that generally that's what we look for. And um, I have to say, I would love to, and I think I will be talking about Matters Journal um, on this show um, ongoing. Um, you know, obviously the editions come out rarely, but I would love to continue to do that. I may not be talking to you next time, though, because <laughs> obviously you have uh, quite good news of impending new motherhood coming up. Um, but uh, before I let you go, I really do want to talk about your your last edition as editor of Going Down Swimming. Swinging. You've uh, just handed me this lovely copy um, of the latest edition, Pigeonholed. Would you like to give that a little bit of a mention for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, so Pigeonholed is Going Down Swinging's 39th edition. It's our, um, we've dubbed it our genre edition. Um, so it kind of plays with the idea that um, how writers get pigeonholed in these categories. So the genres in there range from, you know, zombies to sci-fi to cli-fi. There's a whole real mix. So that was a really great addition to be a part of. That's my last one there. Well, it's a, a beautiful looking kind of orangey coloured book um, that I just have to say uh, the production quality on, on both of these um, of these issues are really just lovely. And you're right, there's a, a genuine wonderful tactile quality to having a papery beast in your hands, especially one with a wonderful matte cover. So thank you uh, for this and for joining us today, Megan. Thanks so much for having me. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You've been listening to Backstory. It's uh, The time goes so quickly when you have an hour to talk about things that you are fascinated by. I would like to thank my guests uh, on the show, Sonia Orchard, author of Into the Fire, a book out now through Affirm Press, and Megan Anderson, the editor of Matters Journal, which I very much recommend you getting your hands on there were three editions out each of them things of beauty um it is lovely to have these wonderful journals still popping up i i feel as though journals in print are such an exercise in optimism and uh and really spending the time to kind of write thoughtful slow burn essays is an art form that i really hope to see gathering more and more um, people to it. Uh, I think that, you know, we do have a lot of churn in in day-to-day life, in social media and elsewhere. So it's nice to be able to really deep dive into issues and just spend some time walking around there, especially if you can hold, uh, hold a beautiful thing in your hand while you do so. Three. Triple. You've been listening to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and if you like what you've heard, you can listen to the live version of the show, Wednesdays at 12 on Triple R. Join the stream on the Triple R website, or subscribe to this podcast in your favourite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Join me again soon. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.